me share a little bit about the man Nehemiah and how he prayed. Nehemiah, you know, was the cupbearer to Artaxerxes, and he was an exile in uh, in Persia, and he had heard about the uh, the destruction of the wall around his city, Jerusalem. He was a Jew. It says in verse four of chapter one. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So that you talk about concentrated conversations. He's for days, he's mourning. So there's this 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 grief that goes on in intercessory prayer and and he's fasting that extraordinary prayer and uh, he's devoting, you know, significant time to prayer. And in verse 5, it says, it, it logs some of his prayer. Oh, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who call on him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear uh, the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed your commands, the, the decrees of yours and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Uh, and, and so, <clears throat> you know, he prayed, you know, uh, passionately. He prays, you know, respectfully, oh Lord God. He prays persistently. And uh, day and night, he says he prayed. And and he, he prays repentantly. Isn't that interesting how he repents? He says, we have sinned. We have done all these things. Well, this is the this is at this is at the end of the seventy years of captivity, and he's identifying himself with the sins of his people that have that have been sinning generationally. But he identified himself with their with their uh, with their sins, and I think this is one of the things that intercessory prayer does. Is it? It's not. I'm praying for those terrible people out there, but we're praying for ourselves, O oh God. We Israelites, including myself and my father's family, he said. And then uh, when he goes to the king and asks, he's going to ask for permission, and the king says, you don't look so good. What's going on? And, and, and it says in verse 2 of chapter 2, I was very much afraid, which I like that verse. I was very much afraid, but... A lot of us are very much afraid, but there's no but after that. But he said, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad in the city? And so then the king says to him, what is it you want? And I love in verse four, it says, then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, blah, blah, blah. Earlier, it says he prayed from, you know, for days and, and, and probably weeks. And in this case, it, this is one of those just kind of impasse. He's looking at the king. He's in the king's presence. It's not like he's he says to the king, well, I'm going to, you know, let me go pray about that. You know, the king asked him a question and he can't just leave and pray about it. He's got to answer him. But it says, but I prayed about it. And I just love his, his Twitter prayer here, you know, 40 characters or less, you know, kind of prayers on the run. And so then they start to rebuild the wall, and and they're having all kinds of opposition from these guys uh, in neighboring lands that don't want the Jews to have their city back. 
at one point when Nehemiah and they, uh, the builders are being attacked, it says in chapter 4, verse 9, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. And I like that we prayed and posted a guard. Prayer doesn't mean we're going to be irresponsible. I like the old saying, while you're praying, row towards shore. So if you're stuck out in the middle of a lake with no wind, well, pick up an oar and row and pray at the same time. Then in chapter 6, again, the bad guys were threatening them. As I recall, it's Sanballat and a guy named Tobiah. And it says they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it won't be completed. But Nehemiah says, but I prayed, now strengthen my hands. And again, it sounds kind of like one of those prayers on the run. He doesn't have time to have a prayer meeting right now, but he, he kind of lives prayed up. We used to talk about being prayed up, meaning, you know, pray ceaselessly and have a, a, a life of prayer so that when you're faced with, you know, challenges, you, you, don't have to, you don't have to leave for a month and go get back on track. And then uh, let me share with you how Paul prayed for people. Now, there are about three times as many passages with actual prayers in the epistles of Paul where he describe, where he writes out the things that he's praying for the different churches about then I'm going to refer to here. I'm just going to take these from the prison epistles from Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. It's like five different passages here. But I, <clears throat> I thought these had merit in giving a kind of a primer on prayer because, I mean, of all people, you know, we've got David and we've got, uh, you know, others that we would think of as great men of, and women of prayer, Paul being one of them, of course. And I also thought for these ones from the prison epistles, I mean, you think about it, he's, he's in prison. And again, rather than just sit around and whine about his circumstances, what did he do? He prayed. He had time to pray and meditate and hear God's voice. And he, so he took advantage of the opportunity rather than pining away, you know, for better times kind of thing. But I think this is a good primer on how to pray for people in general, especially if you're a spiritual leader, uh, for how to, how to pray for the people that you're serving. Well, the first one is in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 to 19. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of Him. Since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the incomparable greatness of his power to usward who believe. What an amazing prayer. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, they are some of the weightiest writings in the Bible. And again, probably because, you know, Paul has got you know, a, a time for revelation, and he's taking advantage of seeking the Lord. Kind of like the book of Revelation, where John is exiled to the Isle of Patmos, and he had plenty of time to seek the Lord. And of course, he got the greatest revelation of all time, the book of Revelation. But here he's, he's saying, you know, I'm praying for you guys to have spiritual wisdom in re- and revelation. And I mean, for the people that we're 
leading, the people that we're trying to influence for Christ, it's not just a matter of head knowledge. It's not just a matter of them doing what we do or imitating our actions. I mean, people need a revelation. We all need a revelation. Relationship with God is predicated on spiritual revelation, and we need to pray, oh God, give our friends revelation, uh, Christian friends and non-Christian friends, that they may know what is the hope of their calling and the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. There are two great books on the book of Ephesians uh, from way back in the day that I read. One of them is called The Wealth, Walk, and Warfare uh, of the Christian. Wealth, Walk, and Warfare. It's It's a commentary. It's a devotional commentary on the book of Ephesians. Beautiful, beautiful book about this wealth that he's praying here that we'll, we'll get a revelation of this wealth that we have. And the other one is by Watchman Nee, and I recommend it, called Sit, Walk, Stand. Sit, Walk, Stand. Well, let me just go to Ephesians 3. There's so much more I could say about that other, but let's keep moving. I pray, he says in Ephesians 3, 16 to 19, I pray that according to the wealth of his glory, that is the Father's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith so that because you've been rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend or grasp what, uh, with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth And thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Similar to the prayer in chapter 1. Chapter 1, he's praying for revelation that we may know. Here it's that we may grasp it, that we may have an experiential knowledge of of the love of God and its height and breadth and length and depth and be filled up to the fullness of God. Then there's a prayer in Philippians chapter 1 that says, Paul says, I pray this. Again, he's in prison. It's the same season of imprisonment of Paul. I pray this, that your love may abound even more and more in knowledge and every kind of insight so that you can decide what is best and thus be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ and be filled with with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, I, I could recommend these prayers, especially to spiritual leaders or parents, people that are trying to influence people for Christ, which should be all of us. We could, I mean, we could use these like, you know how we use the Psalms to pray? Well, that we could use these kinds of prayers, these prayers of Paul's as uh, you know, an outline for how to pray for people, you know, that your love may abound in more, more and more. So we got to pray for people to love more and more in knowledge and every kind of insight so that you can decide what is best. I love that, that we need insight. People need insight to, to know and decide and act on what is best, not on what is just good, not just good ideas, but you know what? God ideas. And then be filled with the fruit of righteousness that their their lives would change. And then Colossians are two passages, or just one, I should say. Chapter 1, verse 9. He says, I ask God to fill you 
with the knowledge of his will. We get that knowledge a lot in Paul's prayers. He really wants people to get, and it's not just head knowledge, though, memorized passages, but experiential knowledge. As I recall, the Greek word is epigenosis, and it, it, it means a full knowledge and experiential knowledge where it's, it's, it's seeped down from our heads into our hearts and into our hands and feet. So I'm praying that you'll be filled with knowledge with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So again, these kinds of things don't just come from sitting in a Sunday school class. We need the Holy Spirit to give us this kind of wisdom and understanding so that you may live worthy of the Lord and please Him in all respects, bearing fruit. So he says, he prays for them to bear fruit in every good deed, growing again in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the display of all patience and steadfastness, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the saints' inheritance in, light, in the light. Um, that's just way too much to unpack right now, but take a look at all of those things that he's praying for. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding, bearing fruit, uh, for the display of patience and steadfastness, joy, joyfully giving thanks. I hope you'll go back over that passage, if, especially if you're an influencer. And then I'll conclude with the same way that I concluded our, our little prayer practicum with uh, my mentees on how Jesus taught us to pray, you know, the Lord's Prayer. And what we did was we went through each piece of it and discussed it a little bit, and then went off and took several of us, uh, each of us took several pieces and uh, prayed that particular piece, and then came back and discussed, you know, kind of how that panned out for us. We used, you know, the Lord's Prayer as kind of a basis. I mean, gave the Lord's Prayer in response to, you know, teach us to pray, and while he was teaching them about prayer, he indicated that he didn't want them to fall into, you know, formulaic Jewish prayers or any other kinds of formulas, uh, especially vain repetition. So, of course, to turn the, his solution to vain repetition into another vainly repeated uh, formula in prayer is, is, is counterproductive. But the, the blessing of the Lord's Prayer is that it kind of covers the basics. I, I think that's what Jesus intended for us to see in, the, in his prayer. <clears throat> not so much just that we're supposed to say it, although saying it is not only perfectly legitimate, but a great blessing. But I think he's basically saying, pray in this way, with these general things in mind. And so we can kind of use uh, prayers in the scripture, and in particularly this one, uh, as a kind of a prayer starter. So each aspect of this prayer can be a part of uh, each prayer that we pray. So we went through it. And so at the first piece is, of course, our Father, and who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, but our Father. The fatherhood of God is, in when we pray, I think particularly important, I think Jesus was, this was kind of newish to the Jewish, so to speak. He was saying uh, that his that his father is our father. He's approachable. He fostered us. He loves us. He gave birth to us. He has 
uh, our best in mind. He's the one who comes when we have a crisis, and even when we don't, he's the one who wants us to sit on his knee. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so, of course, he's he starts the prayer out with praise, reverent praise, that the Father is both caring as a father, and he's also capable uh, because he's in this place in heaven. And again, that's not spatial. Jesus isn't trying to indicate where the Father lives. He lives there, but not here. But this heaven that he speaks of is, is God's high place in the universe. He's caring. He's capable. Um, like in the hymn, uh, Holy, 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 Merciful and Mighty. I always think about that. Merciful and Mighty. He's our Father. Hallowed be your name in heaven. As I said about prayer not being, you know, formulaic, neither should our worship be formulaic. So where we say the right phrases uh, and then we just get what we want from God, like he's some Coke machine. We put the coins in and we get our, our Pepsi, you know. But I, I think Jesus is indicating that prayer starts in the same place that life does. In the beginning, God. And so this is where we begin by lifting up God, where we see God in his high and lifted up place and give him the praise that he is due. Um, And then, of course, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This reminds me of what Jesus said. He asked the disciples, who who do people say that he is? And they named several misnotions of who he was. And then he asked them, who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, you know, the the father shows you this. You didn't get this on your own. And then he said, on this rock, Matthew 16, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When he says, I'm going to give you keys, he's saying that there are some doors that should be opened, and others that should be locked. That's what keys do. They lock things up, and they unlock other things. And he's saying that we're his agents. You know, this, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build this ecclesia, the called out people, the ones who sit in the in the place of decision-making, not like we're running the kingdom, but that we're the ones that lock and unlock the power of this kingdom on earth, that kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so he's saying to his agents, I'm distributing keys to you so that you can open some things up and that so you can lock up other things. I, I noticed that he did not say what those keys were. He didn't say it's prayer, it's worship, it's going to church, it's paying your tithes, it's it's reading the Bible, it's preaching the gospel. <clears throat> He didn't say what they were because, frankly, I think as agents of the king, it's everything we do. It's our lives. It's how we think and speak and act. 
it's everything. But I do think that one of the key keys, if I could list them in order of, you know, power <laughs> and authority, it would be prayer. And it, it's the kind of prayer, the kind of praying that prevents hell's purposes from advancing and releases God's purposes to the advance that it deserves on the earth. So sometimes when we we practice prayer, when we intercede, what we're doing is we're praying for something to begin, something to open up in advance. And other times we're asking for things uh, to stop, something to stop the advance of hell, the purposes of hell. So we're praying for some things and praying against other things. And so we want his rulership to have increasing influence over our own lives as individuals, among us as a church, uh, throughout our community, uh, and to the nations of the world. So the advancing kind of concentric circles of the influence of King Jesus. You know, later in that same uh, gospel, Matthew 11, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. That's an interesting thing that he said, meaning that we're kingdom agents and there's a battle going on. This is, there's a battle between hell and heaven. And like he, like Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places, etc. So as kingdom agents, we're insisting uh, on the king's rule to be respected by those principalities that pervert the minds of people. And we want this, his kingdom to come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes the best way to decide what to pray for is where you see the kingdom of God neglected and the will of God rejected in some way. You know, in in Romans, he said that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So that's one way to kind of summarize what the kingdom looks like, righteousness, peace, joy. And when we see those things neglected or rejected or lacking, well, those are prayer cues, right? So that we we want the kingdom to advance. We want King Jesus' rulership to advance. And so we see those neglected or rejected, and we pray for those to advance, for those things, the, king, the kingdom of God to advance. You know, how is the rulership of God not honored in the world you live in? Well, it probably, you shouldn't have to think too long to think about how the kingdom uh, could be and should be advancing in uh, with with greater clarity in the world around you. Pick one person or situation and and how to pray about it. Well, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in this person, in that situation, in my life, in our corporate life as a church, in our country as it is in heaven. And then he says, you know, he tells us to pray. Uh, for our daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. So, of course, it is uh, valid uh, to pray for our daily needs, to pray that God will provide for our needs. Now, some people never get beyond that. That's their whole prayer life. Oh, God, meet our needs. But 
Uh, others don't ever pray that. And I think it's perfectly legitimate to, not only legitimate, but he come, tells us to pray, God, please meet my needs. And notice it's daily bread. It's not, you know, give me a, uh, you know, a BMW, give me an island to buy, help me to win the lottery. It's daily bread that he teaches us to pray for. And of course, for the daily bread of our, for our friends and family and for people around the world. And then forgive us our trespasses. Confession, pray, you know, we pray for change of circumstances sometimes in our lives, but we should be praying for a change of character, shouldn't we? Forgive us our trespasses. You know, John said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this Honestly, this is probably uh, some of my most frequently prayed prayers is, please forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for the way I, I think. Forgive me for the way I speak. Forgive me for the way I act. As we forgive those who trespass against us. There's a correlation between receiving forgiveness and giving it. Giving forgiveness and receiving it. There's some sort of parallel, right? We should be as forgiving of others as God is, you know, with us. And we should be praying as a commitment to relationships. There's confession, but then there's also a commitment to relationships. This is what life is. What did Jesus say? Love God and love people. And the the way to maintain relationships is, is to forgive people. It's the basis of relationships, really. So we're asking God to forgive us our trespasses, but help us to forgive other people. And lead us not into temptation. So this is a commitment to holiness. God, help me to be a holy person, a person that pleases you, a person that you can trust with your treasures to, of, of revelation and of truth um, make me a trove of your treasures uh, so that I can be, you know, uh, advance your kingdom. But in order to be able to do that, I've got to be a holy vessel, a vessel, as Paul said to Timothy, unto honor uh, that he can put his treasures in. Help me. I'm tempted. I'm constantly tempted. Somebody said, opportunity may knock, but temptation leans on the doorbell. It's a constant thing. Even Jesus was tempted, yet without sin. Well, that's not us. We're tempted and we sin. But God help us uh, resist temptation. But deliver us from evil. Deliver us, A, from the evil that we've already walked in, uh, the, when we have given in to temptation, God help me uh, to get out of this evil pattern, out of these evil uh, clutches, the things that I've done to displease you. Not only forgive me, but help me to sin less. I always say I'm, I'm not sinless, but I do sin less than I used to. And so I'm, I'm wanting to be more holy in my life. Deliver me from the evil that surrounds me and that I've uh, engaged in. Some versions actually say, deliver us from the evil one. 
So this might be Jesus saying uh, that we should be praying for deliverance from demons. This is where we do some spiritual warfare here, where we're kicking demons, as I say, hopefully in the in the solar plexus, you know. Uh, remember in Mark, Jesus said to the disciples, this kind of demon only can come out by prayer, and some versions say, and fasting. I read someplace that the purpose of prayer is not so much to persuade God as much as it is to join him against the enemy. Uh, Remember back in Ephesians 6, as we said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And, And he told us just before he said that, to engage in all kinds of prayers, including warfare prayers. This is a warfare context. And prayer is a main method of standing against the evil one and putting on the whole armor of God as as he talked about the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth, etc. And then at the end of that whole list of armor, he says, this is how you do that. And he said, you know, pray all kinds of prayers. And then the end of the prayer is an acknowledgement of God's authority, his power, and his glory. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Yours is the kingdom. It's your kingdom. It's not my kingdom. We got to remember, this isn't all about us. I think a lot of times we pray, oh God, help me, help me, help me. But it's God, may I be helped so that I can bring glory to you. He says, and the power and the glory forever. I call the glory of God the goal of goals. It's the mother of all goals. We have goals. There are good goals and bad goals. But even of the good goals, the best of the good goals, the goal of goals is the glory of God. Second to the glory of God is the good of people. So that's kind of my mantra is, is this for the glory of God and the good of people? If it's for the glory of God, it is for the good of people. And if it is for the good of people, it is it does glorify God. So those two things go together, again, they, along with love God and love people. But yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. It's, it's got to be your power. I, I don't have the ability. If I could do this, if I had the ability to change my life and change others and change the world, well, then I wouldn't need to pray. But it's your power. It's your kingdom. You're the king of your kingdom, and it's your power, and it's for your glory. And this is forever, he said. It's, this isn't just some kind of temporary, I'm, I'm hoping for you know some, some temporary relief. This is a forever kingdom that we're involved with here in prayer. So we're impacting. We just live such a brief time, but in our lives, in our little speck in time, we impact eternity. We impact eternal values and uh, we're impacting people in our own lives for the glory of God forever and ever. So um, I hope you will then take then the Lord's Prayer uh, and its pieces, and maybe it'll kind of give you some context for, uh, for prayer. So let me just conclude by recommending some books on prayer. And there are hundreds and hundreds of good books on prayer. I'll recommend 
George Mueller, man of faith and miracles. George Mueller, what a great man of prayer and faith that he was. Uh, He started orphanages in Germany and had such a wonderful life of prayer, and I think you'd be inspired by his story. Another story you'd be inspired by, possibly, is uh, about a guy named John Hyde. The book is called Praying Hyde. Praying, H-Y-D-E. Look that up. And I'm going to give, by the way, the uh, links to this on the blog uh, by the same name, uh, this primer on prayer, on musingthemysteries.wordpress.com, so you can look these up. And then uh, 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 another good story is a book about uh, a guy named Reese Howells by Norman Grubb. It's, the book is called Reese Howells intercessor. Beautiful book, beautiful book. I think one of my favorite and very simple yet very direct prayer uh, books on prayer is Prayer is Invading the Impossible by Jack Hayford. I highly recommend it. Another very tiny book is called Destined for the Throne by Paul Bilheimer. And then another small book is called With Christ in the School of Prayer by Andrew Murray, and then maybe one last one. This one's on fasting. It's called God's Chosen Fast by uh, Arthur Wallace. So look at my blog, and you'll see these things listed as well as the outline of this primer on prayer. God bless you as you become a person, not just a person that prays. Every Christian prays, and a lot of people that don't follow Jesus pray. Don't be just a person that prays, but be a person of prayer. There is no one like you. There is no one like you.